This is a Federal News Network podcast. Attention federal contractors, the Justice Department has put you on notice. The newly formed Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative means more aggressive pursuit of cybersecurity-related fraud by government contractors and grant recipients. They'll use the False Claims Act or the key TAM whistleblower incentive provision of the law. Federal News Network's Jason Miller joins me now with what vendors and grantees need to know. And Jason, good to have you in studio here. Let's start with the basics. What type of cybersecurity fraud does this task force plan to focus on. The Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative, which is always hard to say three times very fast, is going to be under the Civil Division of the Commercial Litigation Branch Fraud Section. Now, what does that mean? Now, basically, it means what they're going to do is look at contractors, grant recipients, and, and how they're dealing with cybersecurity. And Tom, this can range anywhere from you said you met the standards for NIST 800-171, and now we have evidence that you didn't. Or it could mean, hey, you were told in your contract that you must report a breach to CISA, to the FBI, to whomever within X amount of time, and you didn't. So therefore, we're going to apply the False Claims Act. Now, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco spoke about this and launched this initiative at the sixth annual Aspen Cyber Summit last week. For too long, companies have chosen silence uh, under the mistaken belief that it's less risky to hide a breach than to bring it forward and to report it. Well, that changes today. Uh, We are announcing for the first time that we will use our civil enforcement tools to pursue companies, those who are government contractors or receive federal funds, when they fail to to follow required cybersecurity standards, because we know that puts all of us at risk. And we'll protect whistleblowers who bring those violations and those failures forward. That's Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco speaking at the 6th Annual Aspen Cyber Summit. Now, Tom, one of the things that this task force will do is really looking at what they call knowingly providing deficient cybersecurity products or services or knowingly misrepresenting their cybersecurity practices and protocols. They're very specific about what they're trying to do. Now, what Justice hopes that this fraud task force will do is more of an incentive to tell contractors, hey, do better so we can do better you know, improve how we deal with cyber intrusions, hold contractors and guarantees more accountable so they are protecting the government information, the government infrastructure that they we all rely on, and obviously to really create an incentive to be more timely, to identify, to create, to publicize those vulnerabilities. So I think this is really getting to the heart of what this Biden administration has been trying to do is create, here comes Tom, wait for it, the team approach to cybersecurity. Except one member of the team has a big club it can hit you over the head with. Now, is this a new application of the False Claims Act or has this been something justice tried before in the cyber realm? It's definitely not new. It's it's The False Claims Act can be applied and has been applied to cybersecurity challenges in the past. And in fact, Tom, last February, Acting Assistant Attorney General Brian Boynton signaled this. He spoke at a Federal Bar Association KETAM conference, and he said that federal cybersecurity was actually one of six priorities for the civil division when it comes to the False Claims Act. But if you go back even further, and this goes back to the summer of 2019, there were actually two significant whistleblower cases that sent ripples through the False Claims Act community. Now, this comes from uh, attorneys from Carlton Field. Fields wrote about this in a blog post back from January 2020, and I'll just quickly go through them. In May of 2019, the U.S. District Court in California refused to dismiss a case alleging that 
Aerojet Rocketdyne Holdings falsely asserted its compliance with DOD's cybersecurity standards. And then in late July, the government announced that Cisco Systems agreed to pay $8.6 million to settle a whistleblower suit alleging that the company fell short of federal cybersecurity standards by selling video surveillance products with known vulnerabilities. So these are two really good examples of where they've used this power before. But what I think what the Justice Department is signaling today and, and going forward is they're going to be more aggressive and really ask contractors and grant recipients and hold them much more accountable than maybe we We've seen in the past. We're speaking with Federal News Network's executive editor, Jason Miller. And what kind of reaction are you getting from the contracting community? Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative. It sounds scary and it sounds like they should be scared of it. What are you hearing? I talked to two attorneys who deal with government contractors or government contractors' attorneys. One is Rob Burton, our old friend, former deputy OFPP administrator, now a partner with Crown Mooring. And he actually thought this cyber fraud initiative was an overreach. And he goes, a contractor's failure to report a cybersecurity incident should be addressed through contract remedies, not civil fraud process. He says most of the cases do not involve fraud, and the Justice Department's initiative may set the precedent for treating contract non-compliance cases as civil fraud matters. I thought that was a very interesting take. I also spoke with Eric Crucius, who's a partner with Holland Knight. Again, he works on government contracting. And he says, well, he was not surprised by this more aggressive stance. He's kind of signaled, saw the signals coming. He says it does open up a lot of questions around how they're going to do it. And I think the big question that he points to is the use the Justice Department said in the press release of something called knowingly violate the False Claims Act. How do you knowingly do something? He goes, contractors should know that knowingly is a term of art that includes deliberate ignorance or reckless disregard for the truth. Air Crucius goes on to say that the DOJ may have pinned themselves into a corner by requiring actual knowledge, which the False Claims Act does not require actual knowledge. This means contractors can be reckless or deliberately ignorant and, and run afoul of the False Claims Act, and DOJ will presumably use the standard when seeking contractors to go after. So I think there's a lot of questions are going to come from this. And that word knowingly is really key here. That's right. You could think you have everything in place according to the NIST standards, but some zero-day threat or some setting you didn't see somewhere deep in the software could come and bite you. And then you've got a cyber incident and you've got the Justice Department. And I think, Tom, the other piece of this is when you talk about the False Claims Act and how it's traditionally used in contracting, it's usually, say, around prices. Hey, you told the government you'd give them the lowest price your widget was a dollar. They found it somewhere else for 90 cents. You may not have knownly done it, but the evidence is clear. You did not You did not give the government the lowest price. With cybersecurity, it's so much more subjective, and I think that's another big concern. Well, you don't want to have a cyber breach, then go home and yell at your local school board, or you're going to end up in some federal big house one way or another. And along with the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative, Justice, your reporting is also announcing several other tech-related initiatives. Anything we need to know about? They launched a new national cryptocurrency enforcement team. And I think this is interesting because of the concerns over ransomware and how it's affecting critical infrastructure and other state local governments and and, and other uh, companies. And I think that they're going to use this to really try to reclaim some money from those bad guys. Uh, The other thing they're doing is a cyber fellows program. And again, Lisa Monaco, the deputy attorney general, spoke about it at the Aspen Summit. We've got to build attorneys and prosecutors who are as conversant in our traditional criminal tools as they are the national security aspects and the intelligence aspects. So we're very excited and getting lots of interest from uh, young uh, tech-savvy lawyers who aspire to work in this space. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco speaking at the Aspen Cyber Summit. The third piece of all this, Tom, and I think this is really interesting, is you have the cyber fellows, you have the cryptocurrency enforcement, 
And then you have the Civil Cyber Fraud Initiative. And what you're seeing is all these pieces are building up to really create both experience, knowledge, and more aggressiveness when it comes to cybersecurity and concerns around cybersecurity. So there's more to come on this, but and I think this is just the beginning. Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Tom. And be sure to check out all of his stories at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. 
And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day 
and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.